When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hello, I'm Greg Jenner. I'm the host of You're Dead to Me, and we are back for Series 5. Yes, it's the comedy show that takes history seriously. And on this series, get ready to hear about Frederick the Great of Prussia with Stephen Fry, no less. I'm just thrilled at this history lesson. Or learn a fair old amount, that's a pharaoh joke, about ancient Egyptian queen Hatshepsut with Kima Bob. What a vibe. And take a stitch in time as we discuss the Bayer Tapestry with Lou Sanders. Oh, I'm a gog. Plus we have many other lovely historical subjects where we're joined by top historians. That's You're Dead to Me with new episodes every Friday. Johnny good, isn't it? Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. This is Peacock. I love it! It's streaming your favorite shows, movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals. It's The Office. That's what she said. Chrisley knows best. It's going to be Todd's Way or the Highway. And Peacock original shows like Punky Brewster. Holy mackinoli. So whether you're in the mood for every live WWE pay-per-view or every episode of Law & Order SVU, Peacock's got you covered. Peacock. Watch for free. Upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Mirror mine, mirror mine You twist and turn my mind Until I don't know who I am Mirror mine Good evening And welcome to a late night edition Of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast One that's been booked in uh, At very, very uh, short notice so I want to welcome to the show, Matt. Hi, Pete. And I want to welcome to the show, Alfred. Hello, 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 hello. So is everybody having a, a bit of a problem, like coming out of the, the F5 News Now zone, like you've been glued to your screen all day, uh, maybe had Sky Sports going on in the background, just praying, just hoping something will come good. We were all hoping and dreaming that it was going to be a transfer window different to every other transfer window. But alas, it was the same, if not worse, than all the others. I think maybe I was more confused than I've ever been because at the end I had no idea what it was I was dreaming of and about. That It was so weird to be like, oh my God, I hope we don't sign Lamar for 90 million. Then he scores twice for France. And then Alexis stays, and it's that good. And then I realized that Ursula is still there. It's that good. Debussy is still there. It's that good. And then at the end, I really didn't know what to feel. I don't know if we had a good transfer window or not, like oddly enough. I think it's fair to say we didn't have a good transfer window. Well, Kolasinac, like I said, we've strengthened. We got rid of Gibbs, finally, which, in, in my opinion, is one of the greatest achievements ever. We actually got money for Gibbs. Yeah, and it was like... 
uh, reading obituaries on Instagram, wasn't it? From all the players, <laughs> is, you know, I know. Ram- Ramsey you know, writing about uh, Chelsea. I always think uh, Gibbs didn't look like such an absolutely stand-up citizen of society. He wouldn't have got that response. I, like it was, it was almost embarrassing. It was like uh, this, this, uh, like a, a war a war veteran had, had passed away. It was it was quite unbelievable. A guy who's literally sat around and hoovered up a salary for the last 13 years for doing next to nothing and um, was being sainted um, online by fans. I was like, I, I, can't, I can't really remember a good performance. I think, I think he's, the highlight of his career was a, was a tackle against West Brom. Yeah, if the Queen gets half that reaction when she passes away, she would have done very well indeed. <laughs> she will have. But it, it, it's staggering, um, staggering that a, a player... A player that lacking in, in interest for first team football went to West Brom of all places. I mean, that was uh, that was a, that was the bravest thing he's done in the last ten years. It's going to be a real culture shock, isn't it? Oh, he's going to get beasted by Tony Pulis, absolutely beasted. But to be fair, uh, Kieran Gibbs had all of the attributes to be uh, a brilliant fullback. Um, you know, he should have he should have been leaving us for thirty five, forty million. Not, I not actually five got a, um, and it's like, not, not you know, new intel. Combing through news articles for the last 10 years to find something interesting that he's done. Lucas I, Perez I actually, gone. I actually got some new intel this week from someone who actually knows Kieran Gibbs' brother very well. And very even good. Kieran Gibbs' brother said Kieran Gibbs hates football. He's got no interest <laughs> in it. He's, he's, he's just actually quite good at it. So uh, there's a bit of gossip for you. I uh, I don't even know where I can repeat this story, but I suppose I can. Uh, one of one of the girls uh, that I used to work with got in trouble with her boyfriend because Kieran Gibbs's brother was uh, sliding into her DMs and she got caught. So that was that was my story. Sounds like Kieran Gibbs's brother is quite the man. Maybe we should have signed him. Hello, my name is Young. I'm happy to Arsenal player. Park Chul Young, welcome to England. How does it feel to be an Arsenal player? I'm very honoured and I feel very happy to be at Arsenal. They are a team that I dreamed about when I was young. I always liked Arsenal and I cannot believe that I am here. When contact was made and I was told of their interest, I could not believe it. I was really happy. As all listeners know, there's nothing I love more on this pod than listening to Matt reminisce about Arsenal past. Can you maybe give us some colours or some other interesting transfer windows we've had? I certainly can, Alfred. I was um, trying to think of the worst transfer window we've ever had. Uh and I only had to go back about 25 minutes, which was good. Um, so <laughs> this is probably the worst one I can remember in living memory. But there have been some really bad ones. I mean, pretty much every year for the last 10 years. But there's three that really stick out in the mind. Um, ironically, after a couple of them, we didn't have bad seasons. So maybe that's an omen. Uh, the first one that was obviously terrible was... Uh, the one after the 8-2 morning at Manchester United when on deadline day we signed Mertesacker, Arteta and the wonder player that is uh, Yossi Benayoum. 
I mean, that was that was classic panic buying at the last minute. Uh, Matt, that was bad, wasn't it? Matt, I, I I've, I've got to admit something to you right now, and you, Alfred. I liked Yossi Ben Ayu. I liked him. That is a good player. That's your sort of. That might actually be a Daily Mail headline tomorrow. I mean, I I thought he was kind of like uh, the Rosicky that stayed fit for a little bit longer. Oh, I think. uh, think Pete, you need to get back from London. That's how far our standards have slipped. You used to, you know, when Yossi Benayim looks like a good player. Okay, so here's another question for you based on that. do you, a lot of people have, uh, have have the view that Arteta was actually one of the best deadline day signings. Do you th- is that revi- is that revisionist history, or do you think that there's an element of truth to that that he came in and he stabilised us? I think uh, it, I think it all comes down to standards. Pete is did he was he a good enough player to secure our fate in fourth position for a few years. And yeah, yeah. But did he propel us to win a league championship or the Champions League? No. No. Uh, I think I'm with, uh, uh, with you there, Matt. So that's, that, that was one that really sticks out. There's another two that really stick out. Um, one for the, you know, we've been made to look pretty stupid, this transfer window, and uh, lots of other fans and other clubs well, they actually look look upon us with sort of pity at the moment. But another season uh, of transfer window where we looked really stupid was the forty million and one pound bid for Luis Suarez, which was just stupid. I mean, why would you do that? Just bid forty eight and get him in. Yeah, I mean, imagine what our club would have been like. That was yeah. There were actually quite a lot of interesting things that came out of that because uh, there were so many errors made along the way there. The first one, uh, the the major one, was that Arsenal were led to believe that the buyout clause was any bid over £40 million. Uh, And Liverpool played the bravado that they just refused it because uh, English law is kind of loose, so they weren't worried that they were going to get sued. But actually, the details of the contract uh, Suarez's contract said that if a bid over 40 million came in, they would have to just let the player know that that happened. So Arsenal completely fucked that one. And I'm pretty sure that that was the same summer that we had a bid for Higuain. It was, 20, it was. Yeah, 22 million. And then Florentino Perez bumped out to 32 million. And we said, no, that's too rich. Then he went to Napoli for that price, and then the next year he went for ninety million. So that that was quite a that was quite a summer. So that was that was a, that was a summer where we were wholly embarrassed and made to look completely ineffective. Um, at least there sort of seemed to be sort of a sort of a weird strategy. Like we were at least we looked like we were interested in good players and, and stuff like that. And then the final really weird one that I wanted to just remind everyone of. I think it's good to remind ourselves that, you know, this isn't the first shit transfer window we've had. We've had quite a few. Is uh, when we didn't sign an outfield player. <laughs> so we were massively deficient in a variety of uh, positions. And then we didn't sign anyone apart from a goalkeeper. That was, 
that 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 was peak 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 finger. There's also one, I'm beginning to see a a theme, and we can touch on it maybe later, which is the signing of a player early when season ticket renewals are due, whether it be Sanchez or Lacazette or Xhaka for 30 million plus, and then nothing afterwards. It seems that that is also a current theme in our transfer dealings. And it does also prove that we do actually know how to make a transfer of a significant size, it's just maybe it's more that we don't we don't want to. I don't know. What do you think? I, I think there's an element of, and I think Theresa May should should nick Arsenal's PR staff uh, in order to get the British public excited about a really bad Brexit deal. Because I I look back at, at a few of these transfer windows, and I think going into the summer. I'm convinced that Arsene wanted to sign Lacazette and that was going to be it. And he said, I don't want to disrupt the squad. I think I have top quality across the field. I need a striker. Um, Lacazette is going to be it. He wasn't interested in in Lamar to the extent that he ever thought he was going to sign him. And I think it's the PR department that takes over after Arsene does the signing he wants to make. And Gasidis knows that in order to to keep fans engaged and happy, there's going to have to be a show for for like for two months with the same stories every every year. Like the Mbappe thing is ridiculous that we would have been in for him for 162 mil. Whoever series about that, it's. I mean, I think that tells the whole story, and it's. I'm not sure that we ever had the intent to sign anyone, but like I said, this window. So it's been uh, another interesting last day of the transfer window. Pete, do you want to do a roundup of everything that's happened? Yeah, so an interesting final two days of the window. So we knew that after we were hammered by Liverpool at the weekend that there would be some sort of panic-induced transfer frenzy and all previous things that Arsene Wenger said all summer uh, would unravel and players that he said weren't for sale would be out for sale and play, you know, the usual mess. But anyway, uh, it started yesterday. So Arsenal started to brief the press that actually, even if we sold Oxlade-Chamberlain, there would be no money to spend. Uh, very odd, considering that we were sitting at a net £27 million plus transfer pot for the window, but then a few people highlighted that there was uh, a Premier League wage cap issue that um, we hadn't shifted enough players on um, seven million pound increase in your wage bill. Uh, it's one hundred thirty-six thousand a week. So the Arsenal fans all of a sudden began to think that maybe Arsenal think that summer uh, was was a problem being caused either by rules or nasty Stan Kroenke. Um, then this morning, the club moved into Sanchez can go mode. Uh, after stating that he would not leave this window. Then, around lunchtime to, today, Arsenal dropped a ninety million, ninety-two million pound bid for Thomas Lamar, uh, a player that uh, a month ago Wenger, um, Wenger bid for and said that he wasn't for sale. But with Lamar on international duty uh, and unable to negotiate, the deal was called off. 
uh, and we ended the transfer window um, with a lot of uh, stop starting, but we ended it with uh, Alexis Sanchez uh, staying despite the press uh, being briefed against him and Lamar uh, scoring two goals in a, in a, in a friendly for France. Uh, in the same friendly, the Laurent Koscielny picked up what looks like an, a really nasty knee slash ankle injury. So uh, a pretty tumultuous day, boys. Um, so let's start. Let's talk about the plan. Let's talk about the plan to solve uh, one win and two losses uh, this season. So what do you think about Arsenal's uh, Arsenal's recovery plan of signing a 21-year-old winger? For ninety-two million pounds, what, what like what are your initial thoughts about that? Well, um, I think we had to go out and get him because we've clearly got things. The, the reality is things change very quickly, and I think that if we were looking at three wins out of three or two wins in a draw, then we would be saying we've got to keep Sanchez at all costs because we would still be optimistic about what the season could hold. And we would still have the belief that he could be an active contributor to our season. Whereas the fallout from two defeats, the body language of Sanchez at Anfield, uh, the rumours that are emanating about how badly he wants to leave, now makes us all, be- well, certainly makes me believe that he is not going to be the force that he was, has been in previous seasons this season. I think he's going to be really disappointed. I think he's got no belief in what Arsenal as a club is the direction that we're headed. So our best option simply, and, and this is something that Arsene Wenger should have seen from behind the scenes. Uh, and the only option was to sell him. And the only person who we have been in extensive negotiations with or conversations about who we know of, who could lift the club with his purchase is Thomas Lamar. Is he worth ninety-two million? Who knows what? Who knows what? What is worth ninety-two million now? But he sure as hell would have gone a long way towards providing the goals and assists uh, that I don't think we're going to get this season. Yeah, Alfred. I, something that I feel it is also like that showing of intent and and buying as we all know, has become a way of of showing where your club belongs and what your ambitions is for a club. And the fact that we think that our ambitions for a club and where Arsenal belongs is that we got a striker of Lyon is, I think, quite damaging for the future. And I think where we go next window, losing Sanchez and Ozil and... The transfer market, having set, you know, Mbappe's for 160, Neymar for 220, etc. Like Dembele, what has been created is that all these players that we had, I think this was our last chance to sign some of these guys. Yeah. Like this was our last chance to sign Draxler, Seri, Lemar, all these exciting players. Because next year they are going to be the 150 million pound players they are definitely not going to go to Arsenal because by then we are going to have lost our two-star players uh, with no real money to actually even compete up in those sums. So I, I just think this was like the last window we had to actually buy some £150 million uh, pound talent. And the story, you're right, Alfred, because the story could have been 
we're bringing you in to play with these players, but you guys are the next generation of superstars at Arsenal. Instead of, it's a sinking ship, everyone's fleeing, we're trying to get anyone in we can who's anywhere decent. We know you're raw, but we're still... You know, it's like, you have to think about what the narrative is, and the narrative's not good right now. And us collapsing after Christmas, when Sanchez and Ursa will be signing their new deals with new clubs... Just imagine the vibes in that in that dressing room. It's it's going to be horrific. Do you, do you guys not think that the problems that we're having so far this season aren't really about goals? Do you not think that um, when your your squad is on fire, your midfield is porous, uh, your defence? Uh, looks completely broken and lacking in quality and really you know, experienced. Do you not think that going out and spending £92 million on a winger is a bit of a luxury? Maybe a bit like uh, rearranging the, the pillows on your couch when the house is burning down? Well, I think the reason why we would have countenanced a sale like that is because he's clearly going to only get more and more valuable as the years go by. And he's clearly a hot prospect. It's as, it's as much of a, a of a done deal as you can get in that sense. So if I was Ivan Gazidis, um, then I would be thinking, well, he'll still be valuable to the next manager we get in. And and I think that the most impressive signing this summer has not been Neymar. It's not been Mbappe. It's not been. Dembele, it's been Liverpool signing Naby Keita from Leipzig for that sum uh, and him joining next summer. That is building a squad and that is realising that next summer we are not going to be able to afford this player. So better buy him now in order to strengthen them. I've never seen such shrewd business and I'm extremely impressed with that. That is something that Arsenal could have done, but, but I don't think we have the structure or the ambition or the talent even to even do those deals. Or the long-term thinking. We're so short-term. Uh, and do you, do you think, what, so what do you think the reason that the bid uh, eventually unfolded? There are conflicting reports. Uh, I think there are three versions of the story. One is that uh, Lamar wanted to play for Liverpool. One is that he didn't want to drop out of the Champions League. And I believe John Cross actually said that Arsenal agreed terms with the player uh, and they agreed terms with Monaco, but they didn't feel that they could push the deal through, so they pulled the plug on it. Well, let's, let's, let's face it. We've been talking to him all summer and um, we must have had personal... We could have had a personal terms agreed with the player two months ago. That's the way it normally works now. You get the terms agreed with the player and his agents, and then you go to the club. So I don't believe for a second it was it was down to that. I think, well, I mean, there's a bigger question, which is, did we even make the bid? Yeah, I, I don't think we did. I don't think we were ever supposed to sign him. I think Lemma would have, have joined us. I mean, Monaco, all the stars have left. He is now alone, and he's making a big bet on his own future, that he will still be able to shine in that squad and that he will have somewhere to go next season. That's a big, big bid he's doing on his own future, which few players would do 
when you have that sort of exodus from a club. Uh, so I think genuinely that he was a backup plan for both Liverpool and Arsenal if they were forced to sell Coutinho and Sanchez. And there was no way we were ever going to sign Lamar as long as, as Sanchez stayed. So, uh, so he didn't, he didn't sign. Uh, and Alexis Sanchez was told he was going to stay at Arsenal. So why don't we spend a bit of the next section of the podcast discussing the ramifications of a of, of an unsettled squad? Uh, we uh, identified four to six weeks. They paid the first six weeks uh, wages. Yes, of course, it crossed my mind. But uh, uh, the problem, uh, I would not have signed him. Would he have uh, two or three more days to do something? It was Friday night at five o'clock. It was then, or oh, you do nobody, or you do it under these conditions. So I decided to, to do it because uh, we might, because of a number of games we have now in February, uh, be needed, need the players in March or April, you know. So the big second story of the transfer window, outside the excitement of nearly signing a player for £92 million, was uh, Alexis Sanchez and his deal to go to Manchester City fell through uh, quite spectacularly. So he ended up uh, throwing a throwing a big smirk out during the Liverpool game. Uh, it kind of looked like there was no way back for him, but uh, Arsenal decided that Manchester City's bid was, was too late in the game. We didn't have enough time to replace him. Uh, so now we're left with a player that... Uh, the Daily Mirror and John Cross have been briefing heavily against them. From what I understand, Alexis Sanchez is a brat behind the scenes. He's confrontational uh, with Arsene Wenger. Uh, he's not putting a shift in uh, at training and he's not setting the best example. Uh, and to make matters worse with Alexis Sanchez, uh, he's going to his last World Cup ever. So post-February, do not expect to see him busting a gut uh, on the field on that cold rainy night in Stoke so boys our best player does not want to be there he will be allowed to speak to other clubs in mid-January how do we think this is going to pan out how is Arsene Wenger going to uh, manage an, uh, an almost unmanageable situation well he is now in I think you know the first six months we are going to see an amazing Alexis because he is now playing. Every goal means another 20 grand a week, essentially, for him. And the whole world is watching and they know that they can approach him and they can take their time and they can do bidding. And his agent is going to talk to all the top clubs in Europe to buy in, etc. So every goal and every assist that he scores, he is you know, going to benefit from. I think the the trouble is that there will be no punishment for not showing up because he can blame the situation in Arsenal on everything he can blame on that, right? So no one will actually think that he's becoming less of a good player or anything depending on, on how it goes because he can just say, well, look at me, I'm at Arsenal. I mean, with Ian Wright's tweet today with like 30,000 likes of Gunnasaurus committing you know, suicide using the, the cannon, I think that has, like, opened Arsenal up for global public banter. I 
do think that the moment that he signs with another club and he starts thinking about World Cup, he will be a direct liability. And knowing his attitude and how he can just like sulk when he he sees things going against him and Arsenal, we have up to Christmas pretty much to get the most out of him. And after that, he should be benched. Yeah, I mean, I think that in a weird way, in an attempt to look incredibly strong, Arsene Wenger has ended up looking incredibly weak. He thought that holding Sanchez to his contract would show him that he was the only one who made the decisions. Um, But instead, he's got a player on his hands who um, is clearly not going to be able to, is clearly not going to be the talisman that we need him to be. Certainly, you get the sense that there are rumblings in the dressing room that uh, people are are not his biggest fans, um, whether that be right or wrong. So the situation, I think, just became really untenable and um, you just can't see it getting much better. And, you know, a couple more bad results and everyone gets emotional in the moment. He'll be sat on his haunches at Stamford Bridge in two weeks. I can guarantee that after the, we suffer another ignominious defeat there. So, um, you know, it's difficult because I think he's going to be the lightning rod for fans' frustration when things don't go well, which is only going to make things worse. And we're just trapped in a vicious cycle. And what we really need is to almost put a marker down and say, let's have a fresh start. And, you know, a few people have said it, but we'd be better with planning for the future, giving Reese Nelson some games, playing an Arsenal team without Sanchez and Ozil and all those players, and actually trying to see if we can just start from scratch again. So what do you think, uh, what would your opinion be on, how we deal with this situation because uh, Arsenal Arsenal has to protect itself uh, here and Arsene Wenger has to protect the future of the football club. Do you see a situation where he where he's benched, where he's benched this season and he comes on as a superstar or is that squad in such a complete mess that the only option available is to play him and just hope that you catch him on a good day. Arsene Wenger was playing Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain against Liverpool, shoehorning him into the team ahead of our new signing, when it was clearly the the stupidest decision, because anyone must have known he was going to go to Liverpool that week, or certainly in advanced talks with with them. He'd already told him face-to-face he wasn't staying, and just out of sheer stubbornness... He played him in that game, which has got to be one of the stupidest decisions I've ever heard. So if you think that Arsene Wenger is going to be making rational decisions based on what's best for the club, you're having an absolute laugh. He will be playing Alexis Sanchez every single game because he can't help it for better or for worse. And that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain example is just a classic case that that will be the case. But Pete, how do you feel and what, what has your thinking been about you know, Ursel and Sanchez, should we should we have just sold them and, and taken the cash? Um, do you think we can get any any last juice out of out of them? Uh, I well, so rumor hot on the press at the moment is that Barcelona have inquired uh, about the services of Ursel. So Lol. The Spanish, yeah, the Spanish transfer window. 
shut tomorrow. So 58 times German Player of the Year could still be uh, exited. And I think that that would be good to, to not have two key players um, causing problems on the pitch. But I, I, I have two things here. So firstly, how do we deal um, with Sanchez? And we're, we're dealing with a guy who uh, has a very close relationship with his dogs. It doesn't look like there's a lot going on upstairs. And I think that uh, we have to almost play some sort of reverse psychology on him, like completely turn our relationship with him on its head. And he wants to play. He, if, so you know that regardless of, uh, of, of, of how the season pans out or where he's playing, he, he wants to play. I would go out, I would bench him for a month. I would bench him for a month. I wouldn't bring him, I, I, he would sit on the subs bench. I wouldn't bring him on for a month and get him panicked that he's not going to be getting game time into his legs, building into a World Cup. Like, be ruthless with him. Like, take a Jose Mourinho approach. Like, this, this, should be, this is about Arsenal. This isn't about Alexis Sanchez. This isn't about his ego. This isn't about giving him what he wants. This is about getting him into the right mindset that he wants to fight uh, for Arsenal. And if he stops, but it, it, I, I'd hope that that sort of approach might spark something in him that he has to pull his socks up. Um, and if we get to February and he starts playing up because he's protecting his body, just take him out. Take him out and don't play him at all because there's nothing worse for a player than going into a major tournament without game time in your legs because you run the risk of being injured, the likelihood of you being in great form is super slim, and uh, you also run the risk of not getting picked. So I think that, that we almost have to have tailored plans for these players that we've got running down their contracts because we saw what happened uh, with Chamberlain at the weekend and it was absolutely disgraceful. There was no way back for Chamberlain after he played like that. And the, the, the thing that really sticks in the throat about what Chamberlain did was he did it against the team that was obviously offering him money uh, behind the scenes. So it, uh, like one of, one of the, the, the worst moments um, of the last five years watching a player do that. Um, and then when it, when it comes to what we should have done with all of the players, like, we, like the fact that Chelsea sold Matic to United because he had two years left to go on his deal. He showed no intent to sign a new contract. So they sold him while they still had leverage. Arsenal need to move to that sort of, uh, that sort of mindset with players. Like Aaron Ramsey uh, is out of contract uh, in two years' time. We should have sold him this summer if he wouldn't sign a new deal. I don't know whether you saw the, the Instagram post that he put up earlier on uh, when he said uh, about things being, uh, uh, Arsenal being a shambles, and then he said that that was his nickname for uh, Chamberlain. But like, he's not going to sign on, and then we're going to lose even more talent the year after. So I think that Arsenal um, should have cut their losses. We should have been hawking around uh, Ozil, uh, Sanchez, Wilshire, and we should have tried to sell them all at the start of the window um, when we had the opportunity. We should have banked the money uh, and then we should have gone on the spending spree and made sure that whatever player, whichever players we wanted to come into the squad were there ready uh, um, to, to, to roll um, when preseason started. I just cannot for the life of me understand how we've let it get uh, this late in the window and how we've basically thrown £100 million worth of players um, like in the fire. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely astonishing. It, it is now past midnight in England, so the transfer window is closed. Uh, I think that means we can officially say that Chelsea had a shocking window with basically a lot of players 
for some reason, turning them down. I think we have... You say that, but they signed Baba Yoku from uh, Monaco. Really, you know, uh, combative, box-to-box midfielder. They signed top-quality striker in Morata. He's already showing that. Uh, that's, that's not bad, is it? That's, well, that's they, better, better, better than us. Their problem is depth and that they need depth and that they break down every second season because they then get Champions League football and can't actually deal with it with rotations. And I think they wanted a couple of, of backup players that they didn't get. They have, they have kind of retained the same quality as they had last season with, you know, Diego Costa wasn't a bad striker. No, I just wish that we... we 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 weren't just looking for backup players. They mm. seem like two pretty good players to have brought in. Spurs got um, Aurea, which I'm quite jealous of. But I, having put that thought forward on Twitter before, I I get trolled. So it seems like he's not really an Arsenal favourite, even though I think he trashed us. He's an Arsenal fan, isn't he's he? An, he's a big Arsenal fan. Uh, I think that's a that's a great signing for Spurs, replacing Trippier. They also did they get Loriente in the end, uh, or yeah, yeah? yeah they got Loriente, uh, which is they actually now have a fair backup for Kane, which they didn't do last season. So, but still, they can't they can't be really that happy with with that window. Um, I mean, Man City, even though I I never real I could never understand why they wanted Sanchez and how we would fit into their squad had an incredible summer, no? I mean, they signed early, they were determined, they know exactly what they wanted. They got Bernardo Silva, Danilo. You can argue if, if Kyle Walker is a good player or not, but but still, they have really strengthened their side. And don't forget that Gabriel Jesus came in um, last season. Man United seem to have had a fantastic window. I mean... Compared to to PSG, no one can really do transfers anymore. It's been ridiculous. But Pete, how how do you feel about the transfer window overall and the way that it's run? There's been a lot of debate around letting it go on for this long, about the show that it's become, and you know, financial fair play seems to be out of the window. How, how do you feel it should be structured? And do you have any thoughts and ideas on how to make it better, even? Uh, I, I think it's going to be beneficial next year when hopefully uh, the transfer window shuts before the, se- the season starts. I think it's uh, it, it, it does go on too long, and I think clubs should do their business in a short period of time uh, because it's just too upsetting having to go through three months to wait to get disappointed by Arsenal. Um, I think the, the, the UEFA have got to do something about Paris. I don't think spending 350 million on two players uh, is acceptable. I think the, the, the shakes and the oligarchs um, brought a certain level of unfairness to, to the game, but at least they shook up, shook up the system. But now we're moving into territories that nobody can, people, can compete in unless, unless there's a, a country's oil wealth um, backing it. Uh, but, but yeah, so uh, like short windows would be great, um, like more fairness, uh, like the, the, the wage cap thing, uh, but it seemed only Arsenal were affected by um, this year. Seems uh, an interesting addition, but I guess it just comes down to it. At the end of the day, all these super wealthy guys 
who want to spend their money to, um, on, on football. If they want to break the rules, they break the rules. It doesn't seem like um, anybody ever gets uh, uh, punished for, for, for abuses. Like financial fair play was part of our strategy that we thought that like, we had the business model that was going to defeat it five years on. Um, we've not seen any improvements. So, yeah, I don't know outside that. Like, how about, how about you guys? Like, what do you think of the, the current setup? I mean, at one point, I just wish that Usmanov would have taken over the club and that he could have gone in and bought us some some proper players and have laughed financial fat play in the face because it is painful to see other clubs not playing by the rules, having the finances that they do, and they are going to get some really, really exciting football, uh, which I don't feel like we are necessarily. Yeah, I, I I get that we can feel like that, and it's quite a depressing day. But I think you have to look at um, the the facts. Is we do have the resources to be able to compete, whilst not at the very very top table of the PSGs and the Barcelonas and the Real Madrids. We do have the resources to be at one table below that, and um, the only reason we're not is poor management. But you look at the likes of Juventus, uh, you look at the likes of Bayern Munich, there are ways of competing. And, you know, we could we could have bought three or four players for a combined total of 150, 170 million, and we could have done better dealings on the outgoings. Look at what Daniel Levy did with Ben Taleb going, and they sold someone else for a huge amount of money, uh, Vimmer. Vimmer. For 80 yeah. million. So... You know, we just have to look at the way we do business across the board. I think um, we need to get smarter at the way we sell players. We need to get smarter about the way we buy players. Um, I agree that having a shorter transfer window will reduce the opportunity for us to feel pain as Arsenal fans. Um, but clearly, I mean, how we don't have a director of football um, is so apparent right now when you look at the, the, the way the contracts have been allowed to run down. Uh, you know, I find the response from all of the players uh, posting their tributes to Ox and Kieran Gibbs uh, just a sign that the lunatics have taken over the asylum. I think it's a sign that it's a crazy dressing room where no one has any respect for the coach. Uh, they're all ruining the loss of their mate. No one's thinking about the best interests of Arsenal Football Club. Uh, sad times. So a bit of a, a bit of a low energy session there, but I felt like uh, I felt like it was important to to have a conversation um, about it. All hold hands, have have a hug, and uh, and get on with our day. And then next week, boys, I, I think that we can have a sit down um, when the dust has settled and decide what's next. So um, you know, I don't know whether you guys want to say something before you go. Like wipe those tears away. We don't want any um, any any jittery bottom lips. No, I think we're done, aren't we? Yeah, we're done. I'm, I've I've kind of had enough of this, Pete. Seriously, here's the top six. <laughs> here's the top six, indeed. Okay, brilliant. Um, thank you for our second transatlantic special. Thank you to everybody that's listening. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, for guys. Thank you, Alfred. Thank you very much. Soon. Ciao for now.
Peacock Streaming. The biggest sports and live events on the planet. From Super Bowl 56. What a game this is. To complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. Streaming every event, every day. It's all the unprecedented. United States wins gold. Unstoppable. Sensational. Unbelievable. Sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hello, I'm Greg Jenner. I'm the host of You're Dead to Me, and we are back for Series 5. Yes, it's the comedy show that takes history seriously. And on this series, get ready to hear about Frederick the Great of Prussia with Stephen Fry, no less. I'm just thrilled at this history lesson. Or learn a fair old amount, that's a pharaoh joke, about ancient Egyptian queen Hatshepsut with Kima Bob. What a vibe. And take a stitch in time as we discuss the Bayer Tapestry with Lou Sanders. Oh, I'm a gog. Plus we have many other lovely historical subjects where we're joined by top historians. That's You're Dead to Me with new episodes every Friday. Johnny good, isn't it? Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.